I'm Minka, and you're listening to The Sand Space. We are the first South African climbing podcast, we think. And we're super excited to talk to South African climbers about climbing and also some of the tough stuff. Stick around. As you've seen, the Sand Space team has been so busy. If you want to know what we've been up to, check out our website or our Instagram. You would have noticed our new feature, the Local Business Boost, to promote the brands in our community. First up, we had Future Kombucha. Check them out. In this feature, we look at Future Kombucha by Functional Ferments. The first thing I learned was that I don't know anything about kombucha, but basically, it's alive. So obviously, I needed an interview. An interview within an episode? <gasps> Podcastception. Today, we speak to... Scoby. So, Scoby, who are you and what do you do? I'm a cellulose mat that houses bacteria and yeast cultures that'll convert sweet green tea into kombucha, which is great for balancing intestinal flora and enhancing your immune system. Most importantly, how can you help my sending? Well, my mates down at Future Kombucha have paired me with a fun guy, Cordyceps. He'll provide you with more energy, improved endurance and better stamina for their big send energy. Amazing! Thanks, Scoby. You can find Functional Ferments on Instagram, at Functional Ferments. If you follow the link on the SendSpace Instagram bio, there's a future kombucha order form with 15% discount on your initial order. And an info sheet if you wanted to find out some more. In part one, we got to know Chris a little bit. If you haven't heard that episode, you should definitely check it out. Part two was recorded on the same day, on the 22nd of April, 2021. (laughs) Poor guy. He was held captive. In this episode, we finally talk about the Olympics and some socio-political issues that come up. We jump straight into the trenches with diversity and ego coming up in the first five minutes. And here's the episode. What do you think the Olympics and rock climbing being part of the Olympics for the first time is going to do for climbing within South Africa? Sport climbing, if we the correct term for the competition. I think with it being the first time in the Olympic Games, it's going to make it more mainstream. People will see this and go, it's a possibility to go and do. It's not not what they do, it's what we can do, which I'm really looking forward to. Just just the exposure of of the sport. People will start understanding. If we had to project five years into the future, what would change on a practical level do you think that we'll have more age groups maybe in competition climbing south african competition climbing or what is a practical change that you see coming with an such a huge increase in so you can you can see it firsthand we had our africa cup competition where it was the whole of africa competing and there were the only 20 athletes which have qualified out of the 20 competing athletes there were three climbers of color It doesn't portray South African climbing or it doesn't portray Africa as a whole. And unfortunately, I think that is just the aspect of climbing currently. It's a very closed off niche sport. You need to be in it. And I just don't see the the general population appealing to the sport. So in the next five years, I would like to see a larger variety of climbers, not just the people who have friends or family in it. I would like to see it grow as a sport. And if that's the case, what are you doing to include diversity within climbing? So that's a tricky one because 
with me, I, I'm, I'm, I say I'm training for the competitions and whatnot. I'm not, I'm not personally going out of my way to diversify the sport. Um, I'm hoping with the exposure from the Olympics, people will go, I want to try that. But even, even last night, for example, I'm sitting at the climbing gym, I'm having a beer and some guys came through because they, they've heard, they did a bit of climbing in Clarence and now they were like, oh, let's see. And they came up and like, we've never met them before, but we chat shit, we have a laugh, we explain what climbing is, we try and talk about how, how it affects us and, and our lives and why, it's, why they should come and climb more often. They say they're coming back, they're going to buy a pair of shoes and come join us the next time. Like so the, the little things make a difference. And if we're just open as a community and always friendly, always smiling, I think that will make a difference. Some people do need to go out of there. Or people, eventually, we're going to need organizations to go out of their way, like Block 11 running their dream hire thing, taking kids out of the, the townships in Cape Town or the Cape Flats and getting them into climbing by providing climbing shoes and free gym entrance just to come and climb. Um, I know there was a, a Joburg side of that. I don't know if it's still running um, with Matt Hoffman and Evan Margetts, where they were bringing kids out of Hillbrow to come and climb at City Rock. Um, I think just work commitments, Matt and Ev had to step away from that, but it was the process of it starting. So there, there are people trying to, trying to diversify the sport. It could also be a great place for you to look at when you come back from the Olympics, if that is something that you're into. Um, well, I wouldn't say it's something I'm not into because if I want the sport to grow and if I want it to, to be, a, be a normal thing, it's something I'm going to have to do. And it's something I'm definitely looking forward to the process of, but I need to have some serious thought about it and plan it well. Absolutely. Uh, we've come into an interesting place where we're talking about ego and your role within the climbing community. I mean, being the first male Olympic competitor, that's quite something. We, my climbing partner, Amy and I were at Boven and you and a whole bunch of guys were climbing in the next crag over and something happened. There was some talk about rope management. I can't really exactly remember what happened, but someone shouted out, it's okay, he's Olympic, like nothing would ever happen to you. And I'm curious to know how being that role within the climbing community, how that plays out in, in you and in your life and in your personality and in your ego. Hmm, that's interesting. Like, I don't think I've changed by getting the the position like I still think I'm Chris I still go to the gym and I train every day and it's still something I'm passionate about I don't think my ego has been affected I know from like what my friends have told me and like people who I know personally they kind of say to to people who don't know you you have quite a big ego or that's people's perspective on you people I don't know the way what I've been told people think I'm quite egotistical about it and I don't want to have anything to do with people, but I don't know. Sometimes I think I'm a bit shy, maybe social anxiety. When I'm in the climbing gym, I'm at work. I can't really socialize. I, or I'm meant to be doing what I'm there to do. I'm not there to have fun and enjoy it. And I think people sometimes get a bit confused because they are there to have a good time, just enjoy themselves while climbing. So I'm a bit bummed if people do think I'm self-centered or have an ego about it. But I try my best not to. I try my best to 
to be as friendly as possible. And has that, I don't believe you entirely if you tell me being the first Olympic competitor hasn't played on your ego. I don't see how that could be just possible. Do you think about it when you're climbing? For example, when you were in Bouvernau recently, is it something that came up? Mm, if anything, my mates mock me about it. They give me a bit of shit, just, just having a laugh, like friendly banter, but it's, I'm still there to climb. Nothing's changed between getting the, getting the position and not. I, I'm still here to climb and I'm still here to do what I love. That's kind of how I've seen it. It's weird because I'm not comparing myself to, to the climbers around me here. I'm comparing myself to the Europeans and the, and the other international climbers who are the best in the world. I know with getting the Olympic title, it hasn't made me a better climber. I'm still the climber I was in December, except I've done more push-ups now. So I'm a bit stronger. So I'm like slowly progressing, trying to catch up with the rest of the world. But I, I essentially have no ego to stand on. I'm still a climber from South Africa. I still go to Boerven. I still climb at the local climbing gyms. I don't, I don't know. If, if you can win the Olympics, if you do win World Cups, maybe then I'd have, or maybe then I'd feel like I can grow my ego. But right now, it's a title. It's nothing more than that. At least that's how I feel about it. And what do you say to the parents at the crags when they tell their children to come and come and speak to you because he's the Olympian? What do, what do I tell to the parents? All the children. All the children. Well, generally, it's just smiling and saying, yeah, I'll keep climbing. You got this. You don't want to demotivate anybody. They are just as psyched. It's, it's something new for them. For me, I think it's, it's kind of my responsibility because I've got the title and I would expect if any of the other guys got the title, it was their responsibility to help the community progress. And it's, it's little things which can make this one climber really excited and want to push it. And then who knows, maybe in the next few years, they're going to be going. And that for me is, is quite a game changer. It's, ego in the climbing community has been a relatively prevalent thing. Like climbing is seen, or at least within my group of friends and the people I climb with because you hang out with who you associate with. So it's kind of seen of a bit of a boys club, especially down in Cape Town where unfortunately most of the stronger climbers have just ended up for some unknown reason. They've just all migrated there from Pretoria, Joburg to study, to climb, to do whatever. But people see it as kind of a, a boys club where you have to be one of the, the insiders to come and climb with us. But we, we, or at least for myself, I don't, I don't want to exclude anybody. Unfortunately, we are a relatively tough crowd to get along with because when we go climbing, we go in there to push ourselves. We're not there to have, no, not have, not have fun, but we're there to really test our abilities and show off how our training has been going. And for somebody who's getting into climbing, that can be quite a rough thing to deal with because it's not the social aspect. We, I don't want to say we, we've excluded anybody, but I think some people might have been thrown off by our personalities while, while we're trying to push ourselves. But all I can say is, if you want to come climb with us, just come try fucking hard and then we're going to be psyched. Lacker. Doesn't matter what grade, just come try fucking hard. We'll be there. Lacker. Mm. Okay. Thank you for chatting to me about ego. Mm. That's exciting. Yo, the ego. <laughs> It's so uh, important within climbing. It's really the only sport 
that I've seen that has such a huge mental component. Fear, ego, you know, failing, people watching. I'm sure actually that's the same with most sports, now that I think about it. Let's talk about your training. Okay. Cool. Take me through a normal Olympic training week. Um, so, oh, sorry. He just burped. <laughs> 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 He's human. Oh, Can no. you imagine? <laughs> He's Olympic. <laughs> He's Olympic. See, I don't like this Olympic brought up all the time. <laughs> Why not? Because I'm Chris. Like, you what's it like? Tra- well, Chris, what is your training like? That's kind of, nothing's changed besides I'm going to go do a competition in August. It happens to be the Olympics, it happens to be a big competition, but it's still another competition for me. So at but least that's ha- the perspective I have on it. You have to be alive to the fact that the whole world is watching and you, the community that you've spoken so highly of, you are the one. No, there are two of you. That will be representing them all. No pressure. Yeah. No, I know I know it's a big thing, but it's just kind of I don't want to be over there in the corner. Like I don't want to be the Olympian Olympian over there. I'm still one of the climbers in the community. Absolutely. That's but how I feel. To exclude the Olympic side of it would just be unrealistic, surely. True, true. Not giving it credit for when credit's due, but And the cool things you can do with it. Like? What, what do you think I can do with the title? After, when you come back, even now, you can motivate people, exactly like you said you want to. You can motivate people to climb, to help others climb. What do you think new climbers need to know? Stuff like that. You've got a voice. And you can say, actually, whatever you want. Including telling Minka to fuck off and stop putting so much pressure on you. <laughs> 100% correct. Yeah. Yeah, no, like, with... It's... I'd, okay, so I don't want the position I've got to be seen as a um, personal thing or an ego thing. It's not mine. It's South African climbings. It's Africa was given a position to go to the Olympics and we've gotten it as Africa. And that's how I want it to be portrayed. It's our community needs to be proud of what we have, not what I have. And I will definitely chat to other pe- people about it and like we can talk and try and motivate. But essentially, South African climbing needs to be motivated to for climbing to be at the, be at the Olympics. Not because I'm there, but because climbing is there. And that's kind of what, what I would like to see the, the community ride. That attitude is going to come from only you and Aaron. How do you, how are you going to foster that attitude within the community? If I had the answers to that, everybody would be psyched already. So when, when I have the answer, I'll, I'll share it. <laughs> Sick. Okay, can, let's get back to training. To training. Let's start, <laughs> actually, I'm going to start at the bottom because we are here now. Is there anything that you're doing as far as mental preparation is concerned going into it, maybe some visualization techniques? Um, unfortunately, my mental game has been pretty weak. Um, I deal with stress relatively well. But in terms of mental preparation before a competition, it's quite bad. Um, I've had a few people tell me I should chat to a um, sports psychologist. But unfortunately, I just haven't really got around to doing that, which I should make it a top priority of mine. I just haven't. Like, your, when your mental game gets really strong, you can't really observe it. 
when when you're training, um, I kind of want to call it material things like finger strength, power. You can actually see improvement. Mental, it's hard to track, and for me, that's quite a difficult one. I like tracking my progress. Why have you put off going to a sports psychologist? Cost money. It's admin. It's taking time out of the current training I'm doing and putting it into something else. It's an investment which I know it's valuable, but I'm kind of a bit too scared to get into, if that what makes are you sense. Afraid of if it doesn't work, like this, the the, the guy I've been or Alistair Fenton pointed me towards a psychologist, and I was kind of like, I'm very interested. I'm really keen to go and do it, but he's not a climber. He's never dealt with a climber before. For all I know, he hasn't dealt with with athletes, so I just don't know if he is equipped for for climbing. If it was a tried and tested, like for example. Um, Tomoe Narasaki, he has a sports psychologist dealing with everything for him. I would probably go to Tomoe's psychologist. Unfortunately, I don't speak Japanese. <laughs> I will always and have always been a huge advocate for psychology, sports or otherwise. Um, mentioning that it's not something you can track is very interesting because you haven't tried. So seeing a sports psychologist even or even any psychologist, they know about fear and they know about that we are all still human. Yeah, I, I really do want to go to a psychologist. It's just going to be a matter of time, I think. Yes. Sorry. And let us know how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> if you can record it, that would be great. If I can record the session. <laughs> Lol. <laughs> Breaking down into tears. Yeah, what's up? This is the whole personal I love going to my psychologist. I get excited to go to her. I have like stuff I want to discuss. I have a whole interview plan. I don't do any of it because we end up doing other life stuff. But afterwards, yo, I'm stoked. You start. Yeah. Do okay. it. Well, so to, to say I haven't gone to a certified psychologist, like somebody who is qualified to deal with that aspect. But to be fair, I've got a lot of people in the climbing, climbing community who help with my mental aspect. So, for example, my dad, he talks me off the ledge every fucking time. Like whenever I'm getting like pent up about something, training's not going well or I'm struggling with this aspect, he can help me with that and kind of like show me the correct way to deal with it. And if my dad isn't able to help me, Dane, um, Dane Bishop at City Rock, we talk about it a lot. With Dane, it's normally about training and like how that's going. When when I'm feeling weak, he can explain to me, Chris, you're at the bottom of a cycle right now. It's understandable. You're meant to feel weak. You're going to be picking up in the next two weeks and then you're going to feel good again. And then in two weeks' time, I'm feeling good and I'm like, you're Dane. You were right. Imagine. <laughs> so when I say I don't have, I haven't been to a certified psychologist, but I have a lot of people help me with my mental game and my, my psychology. It's interesting that you've mentioned it's um, your mental game hasn't been that good as of late. Have you taken steps, speaking to Dane and your dad, to improve them? Mm, not really, not necessarily to improve my mental game, but just to deal with mental struggles I have. They've helped me with that. And it's it's wisdom which I will use again and I will hopefully like put into different situations. Is there a tool that you've learned that we can describe to our listeners? Yeah. You can I, say no. I, I, oh, I don't possible. know. I don't know if there's a tool. It's, I, I, I don't understand. Like, because, for example, like last week and the week before, I had terrible training. 
Like I felt so tired. I felt so weak. I, I didn't feel like I was all of the gains I'd made. I thought were out the window. And now you now you're nitty gritting everything. Is the training I'm doing correct? Is my diet correct? Is is my sleep pattern okay? Am I drinking too much caffeine? Like who knows what is going on? But then Dane or my dad, we just talk about it and they're kind of like, this is what's going on. You're in this part of your training cycle. Now, as of Monday, I've had the best few days of training I've had in a long time, which is phenomenal. And you don't really like comprehend the training cycle is changing. You just see it. You, you For me, at least, I'm so, I feel like I'm a horse with blinkers on. I'm so overwhelmed with my training right now that I can't see two weeks behind me and I can't see a week ahead of me. So it's just currently, how am I feeling? So now I'm feeling good. I can't tell you why I'm feeling good. Next week when I'm feeling bad, I'm not gonna be able to tell you why I'm feeling bad. I don't remember the huge sets I was doing the previous week or the hours in the gym. So it's, it's, a, it's a weird one, but... Do you have a training diary? I do, as of quite recently. Um, Dane told me that would help with my psychology as well. Talk us through a Olympic training week. <laughs> So I train five days a week. I have Thursdays and Sundays off. If I'm feeling good, I'll probably go for a run on my on my rest days or just keep them active, walking the dogs, going and doing something different, who knows. But as far as my my training days, they're pretty they're pretty simple. I have about five different exercises I'm needing to be doing throughout the day. My training normally takes somewhere between four and seven hours to do. It depends on the day four hours or the shorter sessions, the, the, though that time includes like mobility, the warm-up process. But yeah, I've, like it's it's all really structured. I'm currently with a, an Austrian coach by the name of Ingo. He is, he's got me a plan to Tokyo and I'm looking forward to it. As far as the periodization, it looks really, really good and it will get me there in the correct shape. And more on a, a day-to-day aspect, are you are you running? Are you just climbing? Are you is this how much strength is involved? So I I should be running, but I I'll, I only run on my rest days or during the week if I'm feeling good. Unfortunately, with the load I'm getting now, my body's just so broken. I'm kind of in a in a power block at the moment. So on my rest days, I'm literally resting. I'm sleeping and eating. But in in terms of the actual training, I have gym work which I do twice a week yeah twice a week and then actual climbing specific work like pull-ups weighted stuff that's three times a week so I'm doing five evenings of weighted training and it just depends climbing specific or gym specific and then climbing throughout the entire day from speed climbing to bouldering to endurance Uh, at the moment I'm covering pretty much all my bases how are you exercising the the mental problem-solving muscle. Do you know what the setters, like the Olympic setters, are going to do? Do you have an idea? Is there a past exam that we can look at? So unfortunately, with the climbing situation in South Africa, we don't have access to that international standard of setting holds, which is hopefully going to change with the more people coming into the community. But currently, the only way I find I can really grasp the the international style is by watching competitions. So when a competition is happening, I literally sit from the start to the end of every round. Whatever round is live streamed, I'll watch almost the entire competition, which is at the moment the closest I can get to actually being there. But 
in terms of my training, I thought of, oh, I'm trying to get to the US at the moment so I can get on that international standard of, of setting. So currently, the way I've spoken with my coach and the way I'm looking at it is I'm going to get all of the physical aspects of training. Where, where you need to push hard, I'm just going to push hard for while I'm in South Africa. And then as soon as I can get out, then I start sorting out the technical aspect of actual competition climbing. Hopefully it works. You said your coach wasn't a local coach. Is he coming to South Africa or? Um, no, he is based in Austria. I met him through the youth competitions. Um, he used to be the Austrian national coach and now he's coaching privately. Um, but I take videos of pretty much all the training I do from speed runs to boulders to lead routes and I just send it through to him. And then he critiques me on, on how the climbing's going. And how close are we going to the, about going to the States? Essentially, I'm waiting for a visa right now. As soon as I get the visa, I'm leaving. Um, there's been so much drama, which I feel like there always is. It's never drama-free to, to leave South Africa. But as soon as I get the visa, I'll be out of here. And hopefully with enough time to prepare for the two World Cups in Salt Lake City, which are happening the end of May. Yeah, end of May. Just want to be as prepared as I can for those two competitions. Do you know who's going to be in those competitions? Who are you going to be? Who are you, who are your competitors? Um, I don't think the start list for the two Salt Lake competitions is out yet, but I'm assuming it's going to be pretty much the same as the previous World Cup in Miring in Switzerland, which had seven members of the Japanese team, um, a lot of Austrian, essentially the best competition climbers in the world. I think there were nine or ten of the male Olympic Olympians competing. Um, it was quite crazy. Of those 10 Olympians competing, seven of them didn't make the Boulder semifinals. Wow. Like, it just shows you how tight that comp or the, the competition actually is. It's insane at the standard of climbers around the world. So you've competed a little bit against your Olympic competitors. Do you... Are you watching videos of them climbing? Are you? Is there like a opponent breakdown area of this? So that's the cool thing with climbing. For as much of we're competing against them, it's it's more of an internal competition. It's how well I can do on a wall. That that's where the competition really is. And unless it's speed, speed is a race, especially in the knockouts. You're racing the person next to you. So if they mess up, you can go a little bit slower, have a safe run, and and get to the top. But the other two disciplines, it's completely by yourself. It's how well prepared you are. Essentially, watching them and trying to work out where you can beat them is just wasting your energy and time. Well, I've heard that many people call competitions actually a competition between the athletes and the setters. And you best know the setters are watching those videos. You think the, the competition climbers have got the egos. The setters have the real egos. They're proud. <laughs> But for them, they are putting themselves on a wall. And if they mess up a, a set, it's all on them. They've got nothing to hide from. Um, if they have, if they set too easily and they get too many tops, that's an issue. If they make it too hard and they get very uh, no tops, that's even worse. So for them, it's a very specific way. So they're definitely watching the, the level of competition. So, for example, first World Cup is normally slightly harder than what it should be, but it looks like they got the competition admiring and done really well. So they would they just do the first one as kind of a tester to see what the level is, 
and then they like play on that. But in terms of moves and like quality of the competition, that is is up to the setter's discretion completely. They're meant to be quite outward thinking and portray the best boulders they possibly can. But it depends on on the setter and the style which they like to set in. There was a competition that happened recently now on Saturday this weekend. Uh, what is your opinion of the boulders that were set for that competition? I think that competition in Myrian was the best competition of probably the past two seasons. Like 20, 2019's, because 2020 was a write-off with COVID, but 2019's bouldering season, it was good, but this competition in Myring was unreal. The splits they, or especially the finals, like the splits they got and how, for example, on the first boulder, I mean, the men's age group, Ogata got the only top and Andre didn't even get zoned. And then it came down to literally the last boulder for Andre to take the win. With how well they split that competition and how Ogata could have won from the first boulder but ended up with Andre winning, I think that was one of the best competitions I've seen. When I was watching that competition, obviously I wasn't watching quite as in-depth in as you would have. The falls on those boulders looked unsafe. They're crowd-pleasers. They're keeping people excited. Nobody wants to see a simple boulder. To do stuff like that, amazing. It's so cool. And I, what I really liked was the set just kind of showed off different aspects. Like, for example, on that first boulder, um, Ogata has got the most insane pinch strength. And then on that on that first boulder, just to hold those last holds just shows off how powerful he actually is. For example, on the last one with Nathaniel and Andra, just their bicep strengths to pull up around that last volume. It's so sick. It felt like the set just did it on purpose. Explain to the listeners who hadn't watched the competition maybe what one or two of those boulders looked like. If you're talking about the pinches, what, how big, how small? Just picture the worst holds you can actually imagine. <laughs> no, like it's it's difficult because the boulders are very pretty. They're meant to please the eye and then also please when people climb it. So they do, like the setters do a really good job on that. But in terms of explaining the boulders, I, I don't know if you can verbally capture what they are. It's something you have to see visually. <laughs> Go watch the competition. Search IFSE Miring in Switzerland. Done. <laughs> <laughs> hey, did you know that supporting the sense base on Patreon is like bouldering? Just three moves and you're done. Here's the beta. Step one, go to patreon.com and search for the sense base. Step two, choose from one of four membership levels, each with their own exclusive benefits and content. Step three, complete the sign up and boom. Just like that, you supported your local climbing podcast. Thank you for spotting us. So you've already mentioned that you haven't changed now that you're going to the Olympics. Has your training? Not necessarily. So when I was in high school, I couldn't train as much. And then when I left high school, got my drivers, and then all of a sudden I could start taking myself to the climbing gym. And then I started training about five days a week from the around the end of 2018 uh, 2019 five days a week 2020 during COVID I trained at home five days a week so I've been training five days a week for the past three to four years now and it's getting the Olympic slot it hasn't changed the the intensity of my training but I think it's changed at how intelligently I train I've now got a lot of support from this this coach of mine who has a lot of knowledge and understanding on how to train which is important. Like previously, South African climbers, we don't we don't train smart, we train hard. And you can only train that hard. Unfortunately, you do need that the cutting edge technology to help you progress more quickly. 
And you mentioned COVID now and training at home. How did you adjust for not being able to go to a gym and use the facilities and being stuck at home? I was super fortunate because in maybe 2016 or 17, some of my family friends, we built a climbing wall at my house. So I built a moon board and I was super fortunate as I had the moon board, hangboard, gymnastic rings. So I had essentially a bouldering gym at home which was great. My brother and I, we climbed together quite often, which was cool. And I think I left lockdown stronger than I went in. I was able to focus on specific issues like my finger strength, which I thought needed improvement and solve it. My shoulders were never weak, but they weren't really strong. And then I was able to deal with shoulder strength and just become that much better. So I, I got stronger during lockdown, which I'm quite proud of. Congratulations. That's, Thank you. That's good work, man. Um, you've recently, oh, I think, it, was it in 2018 when you had a finger injury? How did that come about and how do we avoid it? Hmm. So my finger injuries are almost the, the classic injuries for younger climbers. Um, they were two growth plates. So the, the basic idea of how the knuckle works is between or in the knuckle joint, you have the two bones meeting each other. And then there's, there's a thin piece of bone which allows space for when your fingers grow it just grows with your finger and allows the space for the bone to grow and then when you have finished growing they fuse together so while you're growing it's quite a very it's a very sensitive bone you can damage it quite quickly and it affects you in the long run so for climbing they say younger climbers must never work on a campus board must not be on a hangboard and essentially not do impact training where it's repetition of the same move with high impact. So on a campus board, it's quite simple. It's left, right, left, right, a lot of force through your fingers. And that was kind of the reason they tell the younger climbers not to do that. It's just because you can damage your growth plates very easily, which I unfortunately did. I did my left knuckle on a moon board, which it's similar to a campus board, almost the same move in every direction. And then I did my right knuckle on a campus board. And how long did it take for you to rehab the fingers? So I was six months out of climbing for the two knuckles. So three months on the left, three months on the right. It's including rehab and whatnot. So that was that was quite a tough break. My mom, she wasn't happy about it, but she was she enjoyed that all of a sudden I couldn't go to the gym as much and I kind of had to focus on school. <laughs> did you focus on school during that time? No, I went to the gym and did other things. <laughs> Max was curious about your active rests. So you've mentioned that running and walking your dog. Any other kind of activities that you like to do on your rest days? Um, depends on the mood I'm in. I do like to stretch. Um, but essentially, whatever I want to do on the rest day, I just take it as a day to do something. So if it's going out and meeting up with some friends or just going to the park and walking the dog, it's, it doesn't really matter. I can't remember when I saw this, but do you do yoga? <laughs> I, I I don't participate in yoga classes, but I do mobility and stretching as much as I can. So I, I, I think I do, or I do mobility before every session for like 25 minutes, 20 minutes, which I have my own routine, which I enjoy and I find works for me. And is that just a compilation of stretches? Mm, it was stretches, which I've been told are quite good for climbing. Like I do quite a lot of hip work to open up my hips and I should do more on my shoulders and back, but just having fun exercises I really enjoy. What about your diet? Has your diet changed? Mm, not necessarily. I've definitely become more conscious of what I eat, but I think that's just with age. 
you kind of grow up a bit and not want to binge as much or feel feel more guilty for binging. So I'm not on a specific diet. I try not to eat um, processed sugars and like sweets and chocolates. But if I want something and I, I, or if I want it, I'll have it. It's all kind of within moderation. And that includes beers. Hmm. I've got a weakness for beer. <laughs> no, it's the, the social aspect of having a drink with some friends. Currently, it's a bit more than usual, but I'm having fun. <laughs> to keep it sustainable, I guess you got to do it. Mm. And now we're talking about competition climbing and the international competition circuit. Coming into this, I actually didn't know a lot about competition climbing. Can you explain to our listeners how that circuit works and who organizes the whole thing? Okay, so it's quite simple. You've got the IFSC, which is the International Federation of Sport Climbing. They are the international organization which hosts all the competitions or organizes the competitions. The individual countries will then host. So at the beginning, or I think it's a couple seasons in advance, the countries bid for um, where they can host and then the country will host that competition. But essentially, the IFSC organizes a competition circuit where they have multiple World Cups throughout the season. I think this season there are nine World Cups and then it will depend on lead speed and boulder of where the, of which discipline is being hosted. It depends on the venue as well. And then every second year there is a world championship, which I, I'm not sure how the selection process for that is done, but it's just another competition, which includes all three disciplines. As far as that is, it's, it's just the competition circuit. And you're only competing in two competitions leading up to the olympics why have you decided only to do two of the circuit so i'm not i'm not actually doing two just two competitions i'm doing the two competitions in salt lake because they're so close together they're a week apart um, in may and then i'll come back to south africa after the u.s comps hopefully get a schengen visa and then off to innsbruck where i can get trained in person by my trainer Um, and then when i'm in innsbruck there's the the competition in Innsbruck, another world champion, oh, World Cup, sorry, which has lead speed in Boulder. And then there is the competition in Villars, Switzerland, a lead World Cup, a lead and speed World Cup. And so I'm going to be doing about four World Cups with a variety of the different disciplines. And then that is my competition calendar for Tokyo. So after the competition in Villars, I'm pr- planning on going straight to Tokyo. What happens if you can't go? With these visa problems? Plan A. I don't have plan B. It's just, it's, I don't know. If, if I couldn't get out of South Africa, it would just be continued training at the gyms and just doing the best in my ability to prepare. But wishful thinking, just going to these competitions. Do you have a manager? Officially, no. But my dad's my manager. He, he is in business and he's got quite a good brain on him. So he definitely helps out with that. He's helped me with all of the sponsorship contracts and anything which requires a business aspect of my climbing, which is quite nice. Super fortunate to have him helping me consistently. Absolutely. Is there anything you want to say to the listeners, Chris? Keep doing pull-ups and push-ups. <laughs> no. Oh, what do people want to hear next? That's the question. So to end off, we've got some Instagram questions. What is, after the Olympics, the first nine A in South Africa, possibly? Oh, well, there, some people are going to be a bit upset, but there is unfortunately already a nine A in South Africa. It's in Rocklands. It's called Legacy, opened by Giuliano Camaroni. That was two seasons ago, I think. Unfortunately, it's not a very proud line, 
and it's in Rocklands. So they can't have the Great Bouldering and the first 9A. So I think Mull is quite psyched on going to go do that. So And I think he can. We would try it in December once, and he looked pretty good on it. I think he'll do it quite quickly. So let's hear his perspective on the grade and what he thinks of it in the end. After the, after the Olympics, my, my plan is the World Championships in Russia, which I'd like to compete in. When is that? Uh, middle to the beginning of September. That's quite close, after the Olympics. Or Olympics finishes on the 8th of August, so the month following. So quite excited for that. Absolutely. Go while the going is good. Oh, I'm ready that side while I come home. An Instagram question was your hardest grades that you've climbed moving from trad all the way through to bouldering. Okay, so trad climbing, it's a, a discipline I've kind of shied away from. Um, I think I've led 26 trad, single pitch. But then I've been on a few cool um, outdoor, like bigger missions. I remember pro- pro- my proudest, let's go with that. My proudest trad experience was with my mate Ben Lowe on, um, in Wolfburg. We did, uh, we climbed a route called On the Energy Crisis Prowl um, called Cold Fusion at 26. And it's like quite overhung. And I remember watching Ben lead the crux pitch, just like campusing on these, looked like juggy rails. But when I got there, they were no longer jugs. <laughs> um, but watching him just pull the most insane moves on gear, run outs, exposure, wind, cold. It was just, it was a very cool experience for me. A I was also, pitch. Uh, no, a uh, multi pitch. We were, I think like three pitches up at that stage. So very cool. And also like the, the it had a, an interesting mental aspect on it because if Ben fell, he was coming back to the stance and I was going to have to lead this pitch. And I really didn't want to do that. So like everything in me was just kind of like, ah, come on. <laughs> it, was, it was a great experience for me. Something I'm really, really enjoyed doing. How many pitches was the route? I think it was like five pitches in total. A- about 90 to 100 meters. So not too bad. And how do you find, like you say, run out on gear, that extra mental element compared to sport climbing on bolts? For the limited amount of trad I've done, I'm still terrified. I I don't know what piece is going to stick, what piece isn't. So for for me, just so so little exposure to it, I'm completely petrified, like frozen fear. But just got to deal with it and practice taking some, some trad falls. Have you taken one already? I've taken a few actually, um, so I'm getting over it slowly. My worst run was in Bloberg, where I sat on a cam and then the cam popped, which wasn't the great first trad fall, but ended up getting caught and that was fucking scary. We were like 300 meters off the ground at that point. And I, I genuinely like, first piece goes and you're just like, tickets, that's me, hey. Like everything I just wanted out of life is just gone. And then next one catches you and you're like, oh, I'm alive. But now the body's shaking, you like that like paralyzed by fear. And now you have to climb up again. No, I came back down to the pitch and I'm like, guys, fuck that. I'm not going up there again. <laughs> what piece caught you? Um, a BD4, little nut. So quite happy with that. Okay. It's quite happy. They do say that you shouldn't sit on gear though. Hmm. They say a lot of things. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Okay, so trad. Yeah. And... Um, the Wolfberg was definitely my proudest trad climb. Uh, then moving on to the sport. So I would say the hardest route I've done is Rodan um, in in Boerven, which is up the, the Gardner Wall. It's probably, it's, it's one of the best routes I've done as well. The grade, it's, the grade is questionable. I say um, 8B+, but a lot of people have given it 8C. I'm just, 
not proud to claim the lower grade, but it's it's what's it's the grade which was given to me when I first tried it. So that's kind of the grade I want to take for it. Has it been upgraded? <sighs> Technically, no, because it hasn't been like the guidebook hasn't upgraded it, but the consensus is an upgrade of the the people who've climbed it. Uh, explain the Godno Wall to some people that haven't been there. It's quite a striking <laughs> feature. Yeah, the, the reason it's called Godno is because when you look at it, you don't think anything could have built it besides a god. Like, it's just, it's huge. It's overhung. It's insane. To, to climb a route on that wall is, it's something very special. It's something I wish everybody can experience. Where are the chains of Rodin? Is it past the big roof? All of these routes go to the top of the wall of the Godno. And... All are five or four stars. I think everyone is five stars except for the one. Um, so from left to right, you have Rodan, then Godzilla, then Monster. And then the, the other route goes, starts up Monster and then busts all the way right called Beast. And it crosses over a route which starts to the right of Monster called Return of the Overlord. But Return of the Overlord has a super direct line. So it cuts up Beast. So it's kind of like that's a bit of an interesting one for what you're calling where goes or who goes where. Um, but also starts up monster, goes up beast, and then ba- breaks off beast near the top is a route called mutation, um, which is an interesting one. It revolves with a fist jam. Not my favorite, but it's there. It's a cool route. And then on the furthest right-hand side is a route called Space Cadet, um, very seldomly climbed. But from the grades on that will go from 7C plus to 8B plus slash C. It's the king wall. And are those the king lines? If people, I've heard a number of people refer to the king lines. Yeah, I would say it all to a certain extent. Of the, those routes are probably best of grade at each grade, which is insane. But then you have, for example, Snapdragon at 7C plus, which is another king line. Or down at the waterfall, this waterfall project I'm trying. I think that's a king line. It's there's nothing like that before. But it depends on who you ask. King lines are subjective. What is the definition of the king line then? We're gonna have to ask Google, but I would just say it's the most immaculate route up the wall. So I think there can be only one king line per per wall or per per area, but it's a colloquial term, use it how you like. Seeing as you just spoke about um, down the waterfall, what did the, the waterfall project? The waterfall project. Have you thought about a name? Um, I don't need to. I haven't climbed it yet, so it's not mine to name. <laughs> yet. Um, yet I have to do it first. Uh, but that was like bolted by Ebert, um, quite a while ago. It's quite. It's super crazy. Half of the season, it's maybe more of of the year. It's underwater, like completely underwater. So Ebert actually drilled titanium bolts in. And like counters, like sunk these things like properly, which is insane climbing. Um, when I tried it last year, it took me two days to clean the thing. Like came down with brooms and brushes, just scrubbing lichen off the walls and dirt and shit. It was an intense progress and maybe process. And maybe that's why I have such strong feelings for the route. <laughs> but it's something special. It's something really cool. Explain to the listeners why it's underwater. So it's actually underneath the waterfall in Vardafobuen. It's... Oh, in, in the wet season, the waterfall kind of um, distributes its its water quite well and it kind of forms this like big curtain. So in the waters, in the wet season, it's under this curtain of water. In the dry season, the water kind of goes off left and kind of avoids the route. 
So if I'm going to Bourbon, when should I have a look for you trying your project? Hmm. Um, I would say the winter, the winter months. Whenever it's nice and cold, when there's no been, when there hasn't been any rain, like that'll be a good time. I was trying it in September last year, so just before the rainy season kicked in, and that was probably the best conditions. It was a bit warm, but that's when people should be trying it. And hopefully I'll be. <laughs> if I'm around, I'll be there. Sick. Okay, let's get back to our Instagram questions. Okay, so we've gone through your trad grades. We've gone through your sport grades in Boven. Let's get down to your boulders. So the hardest boulder I've climbed is 8B. Um, I've done quite a few of them. I think I've done six now, just from 2019 to present. So... I, I got friggin' close on some harder boulders, but just wasn't able to do it, unfortunately. Need to go back for them. And out of the three disciplines, where do you find yourself favoring? I would say my strength is in the lead climbing. I, I really enjoy the process of, of, of the entire journey of climbing a route. Why don't you just say you hate projecting? Um, I hate projecting, but it's fucking rewarding. It's very rewarding. So to overcome, I don't know, maybe, maybe that adds to the whole, like half of me is torn between really wanting to do it and the other half is torn between like, I'm scared of failure. And then to able, able to climb the project, then it's something special. So with bouldering, I don't feel like that's a thing. Like it's just a boulder. I'm gonna need a lot of hate for saying that, but it's, it's just, there, there's nothing to it. You just get on, you climb a few moves, you fall off. You get on, you climb a few moves, you fall off until you eventually do it. With, with lead climbing, there's a bit more of the process involved. Thank you so much for coming to chat to us. Yo, I'm really excited. Hey, I'm super keen to see what this holds. Chris didn't end up competing in Innsbruck or in Switzerland. But if you want to catch up with him and with Aaron, check out the recent article on Good Beta. Thanks for listening all the way till the end. We appreciate it. If you enjoyed that podcast and you want to send us some love, donate through our Snapscan or our banking details. You can find it on our website. You can also find our email and our Instagram. Please contact us for a value exchange or really for anything. Tell us what you want to hear, what you liked, what you didn't like. Most importantly, rate, review and share this podcast.